This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Ugara. We're recording on Wednesday, November 16th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Uh, I am stunned that Thanksgiving is next week. Yeah, and it's late, and then, like, Christmas is basically, like, immediately afterwards. Oh, my gosh. Um, My wife is, like, very already in the Christmas spirit, and I am Mm -hmm. definitely not. I'm, like, not feeling it at all. (laughs) Maybe it needs to actually snow instead of the wonderful sleet that we've been getting the last few days, but... Oh, we have snow here. Not, like, a ton, but, like, enough that it is on the ground and it is white, and you can see it. Does that make you feel, like... Like holiday ish? Um, no, it mostly makes me grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you hate snow. <laughs> I do. I live in probably like the worst possible place for my own, like, what weather do I prefer? But no, it was, you know, it, came, it arrived on Monday this week, and like, I don't like everyone seemed completely unprepared for it, including me. And so, like, the commute for everyone I know to work on Monday was terrible. It, it went from, like, very nice to, like, very cold very quickly. And so everyone's like, where are the coat? Like, just everyone's in chaos. Uh, but I, we're, ma- we're making it. Um, that is A+. plus. I, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> just the whole making it part. Yeah, I had a weird – because I know so many people in Minnesota. And so now they all assumed that I've, like, already heard about what's going on over there from all the other people. And then this morning, one of them was like, well, I'm sure you know we got snow. And I was like, I didn't. No one posted about it, shockingly. That's true. I guess I didn't post about it at all. But, like, I went through this very busy period, like – at the end of October, beginning of November. And so then I got to Veterans Day, which I had a day off from work because I work for the government. And I, like, didn't leave my house the entire weekend. I barely talked to anybody. And so then, like, Monday rolled around and it snowed. And I was just like, I cannot face this. So I didn't even post about it on Instagram, which I normally do. (laughs) I'm so sorry that you were like, I can't face this. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's just, you know, it's very dark now because of daylight savings time, right? And so, like, oh, it's the worst. Like, I left work at like just before five today, and the streetlights were on, and it was like headlights. And by the time I got home, it was dark. And so, it's. I think it's really. It's like this period that can be very hard, and then like March. Wait, March? Yeah, I just find the month of March very hard. Oh yeah, I get that. It's like a weird in between situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want the winter to be over, but it's not yet. But it, like, sort of tricks you that maybe it is, and then you get dumped on with, like, 20 inches of snow right at the end, and it's like, ugh, why? Um, That sounds pretty bad. Or how is your reading going now that we're approaching the end of the year? You know, I read almost nothing in October or, like, kind of late in October, and then over this long weekend, I finished uh, three books in print, four books in print, 
and an audiobook. So I feel like my reading is maybe coming back a little bit just because the weather is so terrible that like all I want to do is just like cuddle up with a blanket and not face anything except a book. <laughs> um, that is very understandable. I am also like there's some books that at, you know, the beginning of the year, I was like, I'm going to finish this for sure this mm-hmm. year. There's so much time. Mm-hmm. And now we have a little less than a month and a half. And yeah. yeah, and I'm like, oh, no. And then you think you're going to have more time, but then there's so many things that people want you yeah. to do with them. And they're, for some reason, don't want you to be, quote unquote, reading during that time. <laughs> yeah, end of the year, you know, it's hard to get reading in because uh, it gets very busy. But yeah, I feel like I'm sort of on track for what I expected to read this year. But I definitely have a few books that I was like, ah, certainly I will pick that one up. And then I I have not. I have to finish Jonathan Strange. Ah, uh, yes. That is a big one. It's gonna happen. Like, it's for sh- I'm gonna do it. I believe in you. It's just like it's – I have the hardcover because I bought it when it came out. Like, mm-hmm. when I was in college. <laughs> and the hardcover is so heavy. Yeah. So it's hard to even get motivated to pick it up because I'm like, oh, gosh, I need, like, a book stand. Can you, like, check it out from the library on your Kindle or something? It's not the same. I have to finish the college copy that I bought, like, almost 20 years ago. But it it would be the same. No. <laughs> it's the <laughs> principle of the thing. Uh, but I do have – I'm over halfway done, and my friends who read it – when we were all supposed to read it and that I definitely didn't finish. Um, they <laughs> said that around the point where I am is when it starts actually like moving because oh. a lot of it is very like not a lot happens <laughs> for a really <laughs> long time. And uh, they were like, oh, but then like all the plot is in like right near the end. I was oh. like, okay, great. All right. Thanks, well, Susanna Clark. I'm cheering for you. Thank you so much. Okay. Do you want to talk about – oh, well, wait, pause because we need to hear – from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avon Books. So I have a fat positive enemies to lovers romance with some small town hijinks. It is a new book from Olivia Day titled At First Spite. And in it, Athena is freshly single and armed with a spite house purchase. She finds herself smack dab next to her ex's old haunt and the man who nudged him to ditch her, Dr. Matthew Vine, his older brother, Messy. What starts as a hilarious feud with Athena blasting saucy audiobooks through her windows morphs into an unexpected romance that lights up the Harlot's Bay. However, their fiery connection faces a few speed bumps. Their paths and the ghost of Athena's ex hovering around. Question is, can they keep the sparks flying amidst all these challenges? Only time will tell in At First Spite. So this is the first in the new series. It's steamy and you need to get into it. Make sure to check it out at First Spite by Olivia Dade. And thanks again to Avon Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks, the fastest growing publisher in the world. So I have a new true crime story for you coming from New York Times bestselling author Casey Sherman, and it is titled Murder in Hollywood. So it follows Hollywood starlet Lana Turner, who was one of Tinseltown's most recognizable faces in the 40s and 50s, but her life behind the scenes was 
terrible. It was terribly dark. So she started dating this mobster. His name was Johnny Stampanato. He was a thug for West Coast mob boss, Mickey Cohen. And that was the beginning of the end, basically. So one night in 1958, Lana tried to leave him. He predictably turned violent, but then there was a twist to this. Her daughter stepped in, trying to protect her mother, and ultimately killed him. So in this new book, Casey Sherman pulls back Tinseltown's Velvet Curtain to reveal a dark underbelly of celebrity. So make sure to pick up Murder in Hollywood by Casey Sherman to get to the bottom of that tea. And thanks again to Sourcebooks, the fastest growing publisher in the world, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so do you want to talk about our episode this week, which is very exciting? Yes, yes. So this week we are doing our holiday gift guide episode. So we had people write in uh, via email and we got some requests uh, from Instagram of people looking for book recommendations for the holidays. So for themselves, for other people. Um, so we're just gonna we're just gonna run through those and talk about them. We got a, quite a few actually. So we're gonna go pretty quick, I would say for us and just do some like highlights of a couple books for each one. So would you like to read our first email? I would love to. Glynis, who has two requests, I will be handling the first. Well, we're both going to, as Kim said, like we're both going to offer them, but I'll be reading the first one. Uh, she asks uh, for a suggestion for her sister-in-law. She says she loves the outdoors, especially rock climbing. Uh, and she and my brother often go on long road trips to climb in new places. That sounds terrifying. She's also a great and innovative cook and made the best vegetarian lasagna I've ever tasted. If you could recommend an audiobook good for a long drive, that would be perfect. This, so I like figured out what I wanted to recommend before I read the audiobook part of this. And so I have to preface this by saying I don't know how good this book will be on an audiobook. There are some content warnings and trigger warnings that I think might make it hard on audio, but it is a really good book uh, related to rock climbing. So that is why I picked it. Uh, so it is In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato, uh, which I feel like I talked about pretty recently because I read it in September. Uh, and so Sylvia Vasquez Lovato is a Silicon Valley uh, tech executive who writes in this book about her um, effort to climb the seven summits, specifically her um, trek to the top of Mount Everest. Um, she spends the first part of the trek, so like getting up to base camp, doing the hike with a bunch of other women who are um, sexual abuse and sexual trafficking survivors. And then once she travels with them to base camp, then she heads from base camp up the rest of the mountain with uh, an expedition party and writes about that. And it is it is so good. She There's a lot of really difficult stuff. She writes about her childhood sexual abuse. She writes about her alcoholism, her struggle to come to terms with her sexuality, but also about how climbing like helped her through that. And um, the part that I really like is that because it's I don't know if it's because it's written by a woman or, or, or what, but it's really she talks about climbing as sort of a collective effort rather than like an individual achievement, which I thought was really um interesting and compelling. So I thought about this particularly for their interest in rock climbing. Um, like I said, I don't know how good it will be on audio. I, I feel like it would be good, but also there's some very tough stuff in some of the chapters. So that might be hard on audio. I'm not sure, but it's still very good. In the Shadow of the Mountain, A Memoir of Courage by Sylvia Vasquez Lovato. And uh, I would consider these, as opposed to our normal a podcast format. We're going to be, as you might have gleaned from Kim, that thing right there. Uh, we're going to be going a little bit shorter for these because we have a lot. And mm -hmm. so consider it like a uh, 
a taste, a preview. I was trying to think of some kind, like I was going to be like a soup song because of my <laughs> my next pick. But okay, so I'm glad you went with the rock climbing thing because I went with the uh, cooking food aspect, which is Consider the Fork, A History of How We Cook and Eat by B. Wilson, who is a an award-winning food writer. And this is all about uh, kitchen technology. And it talks about like the wooden spoon <laughs> and how we got that. And uh, as in the title, the fork, uh, but also going up to um, the more of what we think of as technology. So things like sous vide machines, but things also like graders. Like how who first was like, oh, wait, I... <laughs> I know how what we would do for this. <laughs> and it's just, it's really fascinating. I love this kind of book. And I think that it would probably be even more interesting for someone who cooks, because I definitely do not. So Consider the Fork, A History of How We Cook and Eat by B. Wilson. Yes, that one sounds great. I, I, I remember when that one came out and it looks really good. Um, all right, so Glynis' second request is for a book for her husband. Uh, she reads, my husband loves learning new things, especially things about science and space. He's been following the James Webb Telescope with great interest and gives me updates on new images it produces. He loves all things science fiction, especially when it's hopeful about the future of humanity. He just wants people to work together to make life better for everyone, which I think is very charming. And your husband sounds excellent. So the book I want to suggest is a memoir, Endurance, My Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery by Scott Kelly. Um, And so Scott Kelly is a NASA astronaut. He, for a long time, held the record for uh, the longest continuous space flight. He spent more than a year up on the International Space Station uh, as part of a a study to see about the long-term impacts of extended space life for humans. Uh, And so in this book, he writes about what it was like being on that year-long space flight, um, kind of the pressure of being in the International Space Station for that long, um, and then some of his other personal life uh, experiences, things that happened on Earth while he was in space and what he experienced there. So he's really a great follow on Instagram. Like He just has a really cool perspective on a lot of different things. So uh, I really like this memoir too. So Endurance, My Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery by Scott Kelly. Oh, that's real nice. Uh Yay, space. Okay. Uh, my pick is The Disordered Cosmos, A Journey into Dark Matter, Space Time, and Dreams Deferred by Chanda Prescott Weinstein. Weinstein is the first black woman to hold a tenure track faculty position in theoretical cosmology, which is just like a terrifying sounding discipline. It sounds fake, honestly. Yeah. Like, wow. How can people study cool. that? It's cool. Cool, but like, wow, what what even is it? So one of the lines is, Black lives are star stuff and Black lives matter, all of them. And so this book, I, I think it, it answers... So, okay, Dr. Uh, Prescott-Weinstein talks about her love for physics, uh, including the standard model of particle physics, <laughs> and but also things like the physics of melanin and skin and the up-to-date, as of 2021, theories of dark matter, um, talking about things like Star Trek. So it's very the the stars, but also the Earth, and bringing those things together. This book has been on so many lists, it's been nominated for so many things, and it's just, I think, a really cool uh, book by someone who else who also is very 
enamored of humanity and where it can go and also like the stars and space so uh, i feel like this is a great pick for your husband glennis and this is again the disordered cosmos a journey into dark matter space time and dreams deferred by chanda prescott weinstein excellent that one sounds great okay our next letter is from ali and she says, can you help recommend a good nonfiction book for my friend who likes books that deal with weird history, something that's not so serious? And this is a good question. This is a good question. And I feel like there are like maybe a million books we could possibly recommend for this one. But the one I chose uh, is called The Dragon Behind the Glass, A True Story of Power, Obsession, and the World's Most Coveted Fish by Emily Voigt. And so this book is kind of a true crime narrative nonfiction book where a journalist, Emily Voigt, tries to learn or understand the world of the Asian arowana, which is the world's most expensive aquarium fish. And so she tells a bunch of different stories about people who have become obsessed with acquiring this aquarium fish. So there's a story about a, a, a man who is murdered so people can steal his fish. Um, a person spends $150,000 to buy one of them. There's pet, there's smugglers of these uh, dragonfish. Uh, and so it is um, sort of a a look at this fish as a status symbol, but also like the history of how it sort of became to be this like very coveted aquarium fish and also kind of look at the bigger landscape of aquarium fish and like what is going on with all of that. Uh, it is very weird. There is a ton of interesting stuff there that I had no idea about. Um, I really like this one. So The Dragon Behind the Glass, A True Story of Power, Obsession, and the World's Most Coveted Fish by Emily Voigt. Um, I was literally searching that in my library ebook thing just as you were saying it because I was like that sounds really good it's really it's really good <laughs> okay um yeah this is such a fun topic and you're right maybe we should do an episode about weird history we okay. um my pick is the truffle underground a tale of mystery mayhem and manipulation in the shadowy market of the world's most expensive fungus by Ryan Jacobs I love this book <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those um mostly nonviolent true crime books it got me so interested in truffles and I like I knew basic all I knew was that they were expensive and that truffle oil exists and then I found out truffle oil is kind of a scam. Um it's it's there're no truffles in it usually. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, it talks about how you grow truffles, why they're so expensive, the differences between the kinds of truffles, and then like a truffle heist, and how people will like break, like like drive trucks into buildings and like <laughs> like take all their truffles, and um, it's just. It's just so fascinating. People will like bury poison meatballs to like try to stop truffle thieves who are using like either pigs or dogs. And which is sad, right? Because it hurts the animal. But it's like these are the lengths people will go to to protect their precious truffles. So uh, if a weird history indeed. Uh, it is The Truffle Underground, a tale of mystery, mayhem, and manipulation in the shadowy market of the world's most expensive fungus by Ryan Jacobs. Oh my goodness, that one sounds really good. I gotta see if the library has it. Excellent. All right, so 
Our next request is from Kaylee, and she has two, one for her mom and her one for her dad. So maybe we'll do the ones for her mom first and the ones for her dad second. So uh, she says, I'm drawing a blank on what to get my recently retired parents. We generally like to exchange books, but they're library cormorants, and they plan yearly pilgrimage, pandemics allowing, down to Powell's in Portland from their place in British Columbia. It's tough to find something they haven't already read. I'm hoping you two might have some recommendations. So she says, my mom is a nutritionist, very knowledgeable of and interested in how our mental and physical systems interact. She loves to garden, but not to be too precise about it, which I think sounds, your parents sound extremely charming. Uh, and I'm delighted, I'm delighted by them. And I've, I've never even met them. So my pick for your mom uh, is called Anagomising, Seasons of an Ojibwe Year by Linda Lagarde Grover. And so this is a book. Linda Lagarde Grover is an Ojibwe uh, woman. She's a professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And this book is a collection of 50 short essays following kind of the different seasonal experiences of the Ojibwe tribe in Duluth along kind of Lake Superior. And so she kind of writes about the spiritual beliefs and practices of the tribe that they um, kind of do throughout the year and how the different seasons affect the kinds of ceremonies and practices and activities that they participate in. Um, and so I feel like that might be something that kind of fits in with like the gardening and sort of the way that kind of the world interacts with itself and people interact with nature and stuff that I think might be great. So that was Anagomising Seasons of an Ojibwe Year by Linda Lagarde Grover. Oh, that's really nice. I have a, a another sort of like gentle book, nice. <laughs> which is Life in the Garden by Penelope Lively. Uh, this came out in the last few years. And it's all about how great gardening is, but um, also <laughs> looking at it through uh, literature, what gardening meant to various authors like um, Edith Wharton and Willa Cather and Laura Ingalls Wilder. And her, like, gardens throughout her life and the various homes she's lived in. I read this despite not gardening. <laughs> and I felt, as I was reading it, I was like, I like this. I like how cozy it is. But I think I would like it a lot more if I gardened. Mm. So since your mom is into gardening, <laughs> I feel like this would be a really good match. Uh, especially since they love books and, and it talks uh, so much about authors and the gardens that they have and how they talk about it in their own literature. So again, that is Life in the Garden by Penelope Lively. That one sounds very lovely. I love gentle books. Those are, are nice to recommend to people. So Kaylee's recommendation about her dad. So she says, my dad has been reading more philosophy since retiring, wanting to dig deep into those big questions. He's also a huge football fan and a movie buff. So the book I want to suggest for your dad is How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question by Michael Schur. Uh, and so uh, Mike Schur is a television producer. He's the creator of The Good Place, uh, which is a show about basically like how to give, live a good life. Um, and so in this book, he basically condenses all of the philosophy, all the moral philosophy that he and the writers dug into to try and make The Good Place. And kind of walks through all of the different philosophies <laughs> of how to live a good life and explains how they work and how they don't work and how you might use some of those things in your everyday life. So he, you know, talks about the trolley problem. He talks about Kant. He talks just a ton of different stuff. Part of what I really like about this one is great on audiobook because um, he brings in uh, cast members from The Good Place to read parts of it, which I think is really fun. And so it's just a very, like, 
especially if you like like TV and liked The Good Place or like Mike Schur and sort of his like feel good comedy shows. Um, this book is really, really fun. And he reads it himself. So you get a lot of his own kind of personal musings about um, what it means to live a good life in a kind of non-religious sense, so philosophical sense. So that is How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question by Michael Schur. That is, uh, I'm like halfway through the audiobook of that one. I got a little stuck and then I kept forgetting that I was listening to it. It mm. like it gets it it does get progressively harder, but it does. It starts out with like kind of the easiest stuff and then progressively gets more tangly. Yeah, but I like how he uses like examples from his own life to illustrate moral quandaries and how he then kind of solved them. And I like how self-reflective. Like the whole book mm-hmm. obviously it's philosophy, right? So he is very self-reflective but also so intent on just like he wants to be like a good person, you know, mm-hmm. like however we define that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just, mm-hmm. it, it does seem like a very good fit for someone interested in philosophy. Um, okay, my pick is, uh, this is like kind of a shot in the dark, but okay, this is Filmish, A Graphic Journey Through Film by Edward Ross. Um, I picked this because you said your parents go to Powell's and it's hard to find something they haven't read. And when I saw this, I was like, I've never seen this before. (laughs) And if he's interested in film, um, despite the fact that this won a YALSA award, which is the young adult division of uh, the American Library Association, so it is more aimed at teens, but it is a graphic novel talking about the history of film. So it's an illustrated history of film, which goes all the way back to the uh, silent French film, um, A Trip to the Moon. And it goes up to movies like, okay, it says Top Gun in the... <laughs> In the description, and I'm like, that's not a recent reference, despite this book coming out in like the last five years. But basically just talking about things like the body, architecture, and language of film, each chapter focuses on a different theme. And again, just through this illustrated medium, I think it's also nice sometimes, especially if you are doing something heavier, like a philosophy book, to break it up with a graphic history uh, of something. So that is... Filmish, A Graphic Journey Through Film by Edward Ross. That's an excellent suggestion. And I think astute for parents who are like avid readers, but maybe have not considered picking up graphic novels or like nonfiction comics. Um, That could be a a good way in potentially. So yeah, I'm astute. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Y'all heard it here. Um, Okay. And let's just take a pause and hear from our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abuzaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, publishers of The Book of Love by Kelly Link. So The Book of Love is a long-awaited debut novel from a Pulitzer Prize finalist, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, and the author of some amazing short story collections. It follows Laura, Daniel, and Mo, who one night find themselves in a high school classroom, which is not too special because they are teenagers, but get this, it happens almost a year after they disappeared and were presumed dead. And with them is their unremarkable music teacher who seems to know something about their disappearance and what brought them back. So desperate to reclaim their lives, the three agree to the terms their music teacher proposes. They will be given a series of magical tasks. While they undertake them, they may return to their families, but they can tell no one where they've been. But when other supernatural forces descend on their town, the stakes get even higher. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of The Book of Love by Kelly Link for sponsoring this episode. Okay, let moving on with our wonderful requests. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, Megan says, I'm trying to find a great book for someone who loves memoirs and biographies about musicians, particularly drummers. Kim, you are starting us off here. Yes. So I have not read any memoirs by drummers, but the first person I thought of that I was like, surely one of those books would be great uh, is Questlove, who is the drummer for The Roots, which was Jimmy Fallon's house band. And he has written three books, um, a memoir. He wrote one about creativity. Uh, and then he went, wrote like a more general music one. And so the one I picked to talk about is his memoir, which is called Mo Meta Blues, The World According to Questlove. So this is a... Um, the description calls it a punch-drunk memoir uh, in which he tells the story of kind of his whole life. He digs deep into um, his pivotal moments uh, and his connections to black art, to hip-hop, to pop culture. Um, he writes about growing up in the 1970s, um, kind of joining the band and how their kind of the roots came to be. Um, and so it is about like the roots and all of that, but also it is called A Dialogue About the Nature of Memory and the Idea of a Postmodern Black Man Saddled with Some Postmodern Blues. And I just, every person I know that has read one of Questlove's books has really raved about it. Like, he's just very thoughtful and creative and fun, um, but also, like, has a very deep um, knowledge about music and creativity and all of the, like, parts of being an artist that he has embodied. Uh, and so I think any one of his books would be really great. But uh, the one that I pulled out particularly is Mo Meta Blues, The World According to Questlove by Amir Questlove Thompson. Oh, that does seem like a good one. Um, I also have not read books by drummers, <laughs> but uh, I love musicals, which not to say there aren't drummers in the orchestras of musicals, but they usually are not writing memoirs. Okay, so I found The Girl in the Back, A Female Drummer's Life by Laura Davis Chanin, and this is all talking about... Laura Davis Chain is time with this band called uh, the Student Teachers, which is a band she started with her teenage friends. Uh, it was all like sort of focused around the punk rock revolution. It was 1977. Um, and she ends up they play all of these apparently legendary clubs. <laughs> You guys, I know the names of Broadway theaters. Again, I don't, <laughs> I don't know who these are, but they play clubs like CBGB, Max's Kansas City, and uh, they end up touring and they meet Jimmy Destry from Blondie, who is very into the student teachers, and then apparently he falls in love with Laura. Um, 
Given that she's a teenager, I do not feel great about this. I don't know how old Jimmy Destry from Blondie is at this point, (laughs) but it's not my favorite. However, he introduces her to people like David Bowie, which is very impressive. And so then David Bowie takes an interest in the student teachers, which is amazing, especially in the late 70s. And everything is going amazingly until uh, in 1980, so just sort of three years after they explode onto the scene, uh, Laura is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, so this is about that early time and then also what happened when she had this diagnosis. Uh, she gets some life-changing advice from David Bowie post-diagnosis. And it's it, the book is really, really well-reviewed. So if you want to read about women drummers in particular, this seems like a great pick. Again, is The Girl in the Back, A Female Drummer's Life by Laura Davis Channon. That is a, a great uh, surprising pick. I had never heard of that one, but it sounds super interesting. So way to dig. I like that. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So our next uh, request is from Emily. She says, uh, I'm hoping you'll be able to recommend some books for my husband to read. And if they're available as audiobooks to listen to on road trips, even better. He loves Bill Bryson's narrative style, incorporating history tidbits and humor into the topic at hand, but he's become a little too curmudgeonly for our tastes, which I understand. We also love memoirs that prominently feature food and our music that are literary. We most recently read and enjoyed Crying in H Mart and Bono's Surrender and loved both. Those are both excellent picks. Highly recommend Crying in H Mart. So the book that I want to recommend is getting into the part about food, and it's Notes from a Young Black Chef, a memoir by Kwame Onowache. Uh, and so uh, by the time he was 27, uh, Kwame Onowache had opened and closed this really um, well-known restaurant. But this memoir is really about his kind of coming of age and coming to uh, become a, a famous chef. So he grew up in New York City. He sold drugs, um, eventually was sent to live in rural Nigeria with his extended family to, like, get out of that and get away from that um, experience. He as a a young man, launched his own catering company. Um, He got the money to do that by selling candy bars on the subway. Uh, He competed on Top Chef, and then he went on to open this restaurant. And so the book is about kind of that whole experience and then what it was like to both open this restaurant to major acclaim and then have it close pretty drastically and kind of come to terms with like sort of a meteoric rise and then a really humbling failure or not even really a failure, but a humbling, humbling experience like that. And so um, I just think this one is super heartfelt. It's super interesting to get inside kind of the world of being a chef. Um, He has a really fascinating background in the experiences that he brought to opening his restaurant. Um, And I think that uh, I think this one would be really good on audiobook because it's first person and really um, from his perspective. So Notes from a Young Black Chef, a memoir by Kwame Onowache. Did I tell you I went to his uh, second restaurant, the Kith and Kin one in no. D.C.? No. It was really, really good. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, he resigned from it in 2020. I think I went in 2019. Ooh. But yeah, it was great. I would recommend for this anything by Sarah Vowell. Uh, I was picking up on the Bill Bryson thing and just sort of like, there's history, but it's also funny. Sarah Vowell's pretty well known for that space. Uh, so the most well known is Assassination Vacation, which is all about her. Con- she connects the assassinations of U.S. presidents, all I believe because Robert Todd Lincoln attended all, <laughs> like, or was present yeah. at all mm-hmm. of their assassinations. It's so weird. And uh, I also like the Wordy Shipmates, 
Pirates, which is about the Puritans coming to America. I am very fond of the weirdo who founded Rhode Island, and he tried really hard, sometimes failed, but it was the 17th century. And there's also Unfamiliar Fishes about the U.S.'s illegal annexation of Hawaii, and all of those are really good. So Assassination Vacation, The Wordy Shipmates, and Unfamiliar Fishes by Sarah Vowell. Sarah Vowell is always a good recommendation. I wonder if she's going to have a new book. I don't know. I, I guess I assume she would, but I don't, I don't know when. So our last few recommendations are ones that we got by soliciting uh, through Instagram. So the, the letter or the, the ask is a little bit shorter. Yes. So the first Instagram request we got um, was for a self-help or self-improvement recommendation, which, ooh. Yes. And this is this is really challenging because I feel like more and more self-help is really about like what it is you need to hear right now. And so a book that is helpful to me may not be helpful to you, like depending on like what season you're in and what you are. Like, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's very um, individualized. Yes. Um, but the one I wanted to suggest is one that I read at the beginning of 2022 that was really uh, important to my year. And it was How to Do Nothing by Jenny Offal. Uh, and so uh, she is uh, like an artist and an activist. And so in the book, she talks about um, what it means to drop out of the attention economy and how we can kind of win back our lives by like not participating in capitalism and resisting sort of the like constant going and um, really not just doing to do, but like focusing our action on the kinds of big impacts we can have on stuff like the environment. Um, and I think it was just, it's really good. It really like sort of just like rethinks how we participate in sort of like productivity culture, uh, which was something that was really important for me this year. So How to Do Nothing by Jenny Offal. I keep meaning to read that one. I liked it a lot. Maybe I'm taking her advice to heart too much. <laughs> okay. My uh, recommendation is How to Break Up with Your Phone, The 30-Day Plan to Take Back Your Life by Katherine Price. This, uh, I, just, I love that this exists. <laughs> and it's basically if you feel like you are on your phone too much or you would just like to be on it a little less. So you don't have to completely stop looking at your phone, which feels increasingly impossible in our world. But uh, this is split up into two sections. So the first one is very uh, focused on um, studies and information about u phone usage and how it impacts you and how like what it, what's going on with the world regarding it. So kind of just info section. And then the second half is or the second section is all about how to change your relationship with your phone. And it's very sort of... Um, uh, positively focused. Uh, Catherine Price is a, a journalist and she knows how to write in like a pretty snappy way, which is also nice as opposed to being um, written by more of like a science writer mm -hmm. who gets bogged down sometimes and that kind of thing. So um, it's very uh, ad advice laden, but also an easy sort of to handle tidbits of advice. Um, in addition to, again, the info based in, I believe, 2018 when this came out. So relatively recent um, statistics. So there, I don't think technology has changed a ton in the last four years. Yes. So again, that is How to Break Up with Your Phone by Catherine Price. Excellent. I did read that. I like how practical that book is. You know, it's like very... It gives you the science and stuff, but then it's like, no, really, like, here's what you can do. And I appreciate that about it. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, our next request was for a graphic memoir, uh, which is another one that like, boy, there could be a lot of different options. But the one I wanted to uh, suggest that I think I think would make a really interesting and good gift for different people uh, is Good Talk, a Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. Uh, and so this one came out uh, just a couple of years ago. And um, the sort of setup of it is that uh, Mir Jacob's son is half Jewish and half Indian. And when he gets to be about six years old, he starts to ask tons and tons and tons of questions. So stuff like, can Indians be racist? How brown is too brown? What does love between really different people look like? So she starts having to navigate these really complicated questions with her son. And then the 2016 election happens. And all of that rhetoric and all of those really difficult conversations about race start to come up even more. Um, she has to think about how to have those complications with her husband's conservative white family um, and kind of how she has started to learn to navigate those conversations and how to do it with like grace and understanding with people that you don't really have the option of like completely disengaging with. Um, and so I... I just thought this one is really beautifully done. Uh, it's very empathetic. It's very personal about a complicated topic, I think, but she does it in a really interesting way. And the, the illustrations are really beautiful too. So I, I like this one a lot. Good Talk, A Memoir and Conversations by Mira Jacob. I almost picked that one. Good ah. job. Uh, this one, okay, I feel bad picking this because it feels like kind of graphic memoir 101. But if you for some reason never picked it up, I think it should still be talked about. And that is Persepolis by Marianne Satrapi. Also made into a film, I believe, because it was such mm -hmm. a uh, an acclaimed memoir. So this is a Satrapi tells the story of her life in Tehran from ages 6 to 14, during which time uh, it was the overthrow of the Shah's regime and the Islamic Revolution came about, as well as the effects of the war with Iraq. So Satrapi was the only child of committed Marxists and the great-granddaughter of one of Iran's last emperors. So this is um, her childhood combined with uh, this very pivotal moment in the history of Iran. And there is a part two, but obviously you're going to want to read part one first. It's just, it's really good. It's really starkly illustrated, I guess, in, like which mm -hmm. also is just like this very it's, it's imagery that stays with you. It's like all black and white. And it's just, mm, if you think graphic memoir, again, you got to go with one, one of the several, I think, that are kind of at the like most known is Persepolis by Marianne Satrapi. Yes, that is a good, good pick. Um, okay, our next request is for memoirs or books that deal with grief humorously. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is <laughs> like both in, in both of our wheelhouses in a sad, weird way. Um so the book I want to recommend is Black Widow, a sad, funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with words like a journey in the title by Leslie Gray Streeter, which that is a great subtitle. That is. That's really good. <laughs> I really love it. So uh, Leslie Gray Streeter, uh, she was widowed. Um, and so this is a book about how she copes after she loses her husband to a sudden heart attack um, and how she tries to sort of like deal with the widow lifestyle. So she writes about like having to pick a, a dress for his funeral. She writes about how she stops day drinking after he dies and just how she deals with her raising her son. Um, just, just so much really um, funny and sad and like 
oofda kinds of stuff, um, particularly if you're looking for a book about grief. Um, I think she's very, she's very funny. And I, uh, I really like this one. So uh, in a like, sad, I need a, a book about sad stuff that is funny kind of way. So that's Black Widow by Leslie Gray Streeter. Yeah, so my mom passed away a little over four years ago. And um, Kim and I, as, as Kim alluded, we've both kind of dealt with grief in grief is different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we both do appreciate kind of a, a, a more humorous grief memoir. Sometimes you need the intense feelings ones. But mm-hmm. the ones I have a hard time relating to are with people who are have like uncomplicated grief. <laughs> Mm-hmm. About like, you know, just like this person was amazing. And so I really appreciate the ones that also deal with the author grappling with a, a difficult relationship, but still missing the person. So when I read Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast, uh, this is a, a memoir about her parents. This was, oh my gosh, I read it at a like a, a house rental and it was in like the library of the house and I just sat down and read it all the way through. It's a really easy read in terms of um, how quickly you can get through it. It's talking about her parents last years and as an only child, you know, Roz Chast is kind of trying to take care of them and then her father, uh, I believe, dealing with dementia and uh, but then after uh, the last few years, then they passed and it's kind of like her dealing with that and, you know, having to get rid of their things and all the stuff. So it's a lot, but it's so well done. And I have like such tremendous affection for this book. It was a 2014 National Book Award finalist and definitely deserved. I five stars did immediately on Goodreads. So if, you, if you're looking for something, maybe uh, in terms of parental grief, I think this is a good one. So can't we talk about something more pleasant by Roz Chast? Yes, and that's a good point that grief is both like universal and also extremely specific. And sometimes reading about grief that is the same relationship as yours is helpful. And sometimes it's helpful to have something different, you know? Yeah. Um, The other thing I forgot to say about Black Widow that I want to mention is that um, it also looks at grief through the prism of race and uh, which a lot of memoirs by widows, there's just a lot of them by white women. So I appreciated that perspective about it too. All right. Our next request was for a nonfiction book like Patrick Radding Keefe's Say Nothing or Empire of Pain, uh, which is another one where like, boy, there could be a lot of options. The one I wanted to suggest is The Warmth of Other Suns, The Epic Story of America's Great Migration by Isabel Wilkerson, which we've talked about before, but I think is always worth repeating. Um, This is a really big book about the history of um, Black Americans migrating from Southern cities, North and West, and what that whole movement of people meant for demographics in across the United States and how it changed cities uh, in every section of the country. And it's a really in-depth history book, but it also does a really – Isabel Wilkerson does an amazing job of humanizing these different stories. And so she profiles a few different Black Americans and their particular journeys and it uses those to kind of illustrate a lot bigger trends. Um, and this book, it just like changed the way that I think about almost everything, I think, when I read it. So I think it is um, – a really, really important and good one. So The Warmth of Other Suns, The Epic Story of America's Great Migration by Isabel Wilkerson. I keep meaning to read that. I think it came out when I was very anti-fictional nonfiction. Uh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it starts out being a little bit like more narrative mm-hmm. in its thing. It and I was like, boo. And now I'm much more okay with it. See, and that's why I love it. <laughs> that makes sense because it's much more readable. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Um, okay, my pick for this was something that Kim and I both really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Kolker. I felt like uh, in the relation to the Patrick Radden Keefe books, I felt like it also kind of uh, focuses on a specific story, but it is a very, um, I want to say almost epic story while being familiar, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. So this came out in 2020 and was acclaimed all over the place. And it is the account of the Galvin family of Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, which they had 12 children, 10 boys and two girls. Six of the boys were diagnosed with schizophrenia. So the family uh, was approached by researchers who wanted to investigate the a genetic origin for schizophrenia. And I feel like it's important to note that Robert Kolker, the author, was approached by the two sisters of the family uh, to write this book. So this was uh, a, a requested research topic, and he was able to interview the mother, uh, Mimi Galvin, for the book. And she talked about sort of the, the theories and rumors about how, you know, the, in the family about how this happened. Um, I should also note that there is um, some sexual abuse that happens. So just be be aware of that. But it is a very well done book. Um, Kim, do you have anything to add since you read it? Yeah, I think I think this is a good suggestion. Like, um both of the uh, Radnor Keefe's books that like it's very the journalism is super strong but it really focuses on a people and uses people to sort of tell a bigger story um, rather than just sort of like a history of schizophrenia like it's really through the family's lens um, and it's it's extremely well done and I he does have some good stuff in the notes about like he the family approached him about writing it but that he really did have uh, an independent journalistic approach and so they weren't able to like veto anything so i do think it's very like truthful like there's no skewing it based on that kind of source of the material i guess if that makes sense oh that's a good note i was saying it more like he wasn't being exploitative but um, oh i get you yeah but yes also what you said (laughs) okay our last request my goodness is, I know, for a father-in-law who, quote, knows all things, <laughs> loves <laughs> trivia and random facts, but is also super conservative. That is a tricky one. But um, the book I would like to suggest is The Poisoner's Handbook, Murder and the Birth of Forensic Medicine in Jazz Age New York by Deborah Bloom. Uh, so this book, as the subtitle suggests, is about the um, the origin of forensic science uh, taking place in New York in the 1920s. So it's the story of two men primarily, um, Charles Norris, who is the chief medical examiner in New York City, and then Alexander Gettler, who was a toxicologist. And the two of them um, partnered up and worked together to start figuring out how poisons kill people. And then they started to use all of the research that they were doing to try and start to um, or help criminals be prosecuted for poisoning. Because before this, you could basically poison anyone and there was nothing anyone could do about it because no one could figure out or prove that you had done it. Um, so I think this one works because there's a lot of really fun trivia about different types of poisons and how they are made and how they are found and the chemistry behind it, but also um, is just like a really good story. So The Poisoner's Handbook, Murder and the Birth of Forensics Medicine in Jazz Age New York by Deborah Blum. Nice. Uh, I have two picks for this uh, just because I feel like 
I know this kind of person. <laughs> and uh, one is At Home, A Short History of Private Life by Bill Bryson, which is just uh, going through uh, the home and uh, room by room and looking at the history of the, quote, domestic artifacts we take for granted. So I feel like that'll fulfill the kind of more uh, trivia-based portion of this and, you know, being able to then walk around his house and be like, oh, did you know that this? <laughs> um, but I also would probably recommend anything by Bill Bryson for a father-in-law. Uh, he's got a real dad vibe in general. Mm-hmm, um, the mm-hmm. other book is The Disappearing Spoon and Other True Tales of Madness, Love, and the History of the World from the Periodic Table of Elements by Sam Keen. Because this is also, right, like, elements make up everything around us. This is all um, stories related to each element. It's really good. I loved this book. So again, that is At Home by Bill Bryson and The Disappearing Spoon by Sam Keen. Whew. That was was so (laughs) much fun. That was fun. (laughs) That was. It's fun to just like really do a bunch of random stuff and, and not always feel so beholden to a theme. So that was really good. So hopefully those are some good book recommendations, gift recommendations, and that they're applicable to other people besides the folks who uh, emailed in and asked. And we wish you the best of luck in your holiday gifting. Uh, With that, we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading right now. So uh, the book I just recently picked up but haven't gotten very far in is The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd by Daphne Palmer Giannakopoulos. Uh, And so this is a book about the wife of Captain Kidd, Sarah Kidd, who uh, was a New York socialite and then transformed into a international pirate and supported her husband like behind the scenes while he was out doing pirate things. She was back in New York doing other things that helped pirates. Um, That's really like all I know so far, uh, but the description just sounded really fun. So The Pirate's Wife by Daphne Palmer Giannacopoulos. Oh my gosh, that sounds really good. I didn't know anything about that. I know, I didn't either, but I was like, oh, Pirate's Wife, that sounds that sounds great. Goodness gracious. I am doing the audiobook of In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin by Eric Larson, uh, author of the <laughs> oft-spoken of Devil in the White City. <laughs> so, yeah, um, This is particularly about the professor from Illinois who became the U.S. ambassador to Germany in the 1930s. What a time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like 1933, 1934, um, and Hitler's rise to power and, you know, how what, what the U.S. was doing, what the embassy was doing there, what Berlin was like. Um, I don't have an enormous interest in World War II, but it's really good. So um, I'm a little over halfway through and really liking it. So that's In the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson. I really like that one. Yeah, it's, it's great so far. I'm, you know, uh, a little terrified to get to the end because I know it's coming. But anyway, uh, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. If you have a few minutes, we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so people can find us more easily. And while you're there, you can follow us to get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I'm Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.